Dad, tell me a story. Hello, and welcome to The Storytelling Habit. This is episode two, Cavemen Didn't Use PowerPoints. Suppose I wanted to persuade you to wear a helmet when you ride a motorcycle. I could do extensive research. I could gather facts and evidence from brain scientists and helmet manufacturers to prove that wearing helmets is the right thing to do. I could tell you that motorcycle helmets reduce the risk of death in an accident by 39% and the risk of injury by 69%. I could explain to you the anatomy of a brain, all its parts and functions, and specify which parts of your head are most at risk should you get in an accident without a helmet. Or I could tell you that when I was 12 years old, I had a small green Kawasaki KLX10 motorcycle. And on a warm Saturday afternoon in the spring of 2007, my parents pulled all our belongings out of the garage, including my motorcycle, in order to make room for spring cleaning. I meandered outside to see my precious Kawasaki sitting there on the sidewalk, lonely, begging me to take a seat. It called out to me, inviting me to feel the rubber grips in my hands and imagine myself riding in the wind. I, of course, being an obedient motorcycle rider, hearkened to the call of my precious Kawasaki and hopped on board. But almost instantly after I sat down, my mom walked outside to see me sitting there, my hands on the handlebars, and screamed, Don't you ever even sit on that thing without a helmet. I jumped off, ran to the garage, buckled on my helmet, and sat back down. Okay, Mom. Okay, Mom. I had no intention of actually turning the beast on when I sat down, but now that I was there, and now that I had a helmet, well, why not? I pushed all the weight of my tiny 11-year-old body down onto the kickstart. I let the engine start purring. Then I pulled the throttle, expecting nothing more to happen than for the engine to roar. But it would seem I either inadvertently kicked the bike into gear when I started it, or I had left it in gear the last time I went for a ride. I'll never know for sure. But as soon as I pulled the throttle, the bike started moving. I didn't expect it. I popped up onto my, onto my back wheel completely by accident. I was basically doing a wheelie at this point and bolted across the street. I was so immediately panicked and unsure of how to get back in control that I just held on for dear life as this thing's pulling me across the street. I remember grabbing the right handbrake, but it was no use. The brake, that brake, controlled the front tire, and the front tire was suspended in the air. It all happened so fast I, that I couldn't even gather my thoughts. I couldn't press down the correct brake with my foot. I was just moving and hoping that nothing bad was going to happen. My motorcycle rammed into the neighbor's curb as I fell down to my left, my head crashing down on the pavement. The bike fell on top of me, and the back tire started to spin against my right side, against my hip and my stomach, tearing up flesh and causing me to dive even deeper into a panic. I was freaking out as this wheel spun against me. So I reached my right hand over to stop it and broke my thumb. I don't know if my thumb broke on the tire itself from trying to grab it, or if it got caught in the, in the wheel. I'm, tr I'm trying to find the word right now, but I can't. Is it? Uh, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm hopeless. <laughs> but I don't know if it got caught on the tire from trying to grab it or in the wheel from spinning. It was, uh, it was 
it was traumatizing as an 11 year old. Now I look back and I'm glad I have a good story, <laughs> but it was, uh, the bike fell on top of me. The, the tires were spinning against me. I didn't know what to do. So I grabbed it. I, and broke my thumb in the process of grabbing that tire to stop it from spinning against me. By that point, my dad had run over and pulled the bike off of me and I just screamed. I screamed and I cried because what else is an 11 year old supposed to do when they aren't sure which part of them hurts and which parts are just surging with adrenaline? My parents cleared the driveway and my mom loaded me into the passenger seat of the car and we drove to the ER. And I remember during that drive, moaning and groaning and stretching my body and my stomach upward in pain, gripping the handle of my seat, grabbing my side with my other hand, just in pain and mostly panicked because I wasn't sure what was going on. All I remember was my shirt was ripped up to shreds around where the tire had spun and there was a lot of blood. I was bleeding. After getting to the ER, everything's kind of a blur. I remember getting a cast put on. I remember sitting in a hospital bed and being carted off to get an x-ray on my hand. I think I fell asleep while I was there. I'm not sure of all the details. But uh, all I remember is getting the cast, having an x-ray, and then immediately wanting my sixth grade counterparts to start signing my cast when I got out of the hospital. I thought, oh, cool, I have a, a cool blue cast, and you know, I'm going to get all my friends to sign it. But a few months later, I remember walking back into my garage uh, when I had this random instinct to go pick up my motorcycle helmet and just look at it. And when I picked it up, I hadn't worn this helmet since the accident. I picked it up, and I looked at the back of it and noticed a dent and scuff mark right where I had hit the pavement after my fall, I was on the motorcycle, it tipped over, I fell down, and the back of my head smacked down on the concrete. But I had my helmet on. And at that moment, I just thought to myself, wow, mom was right. If I hadn't been wearing my helmet that day, what would have happened to me? What would have happened to my precious, vulnerable head? Could something more severe have happened than simply getting a, getting a scar on my stomach and having to put a cast on my broken thumb? Could I have gotten a concussion or worse? Could, could something life-threatening had happened? From that day forward, without any hesitation or need to be instructed at all, I put on my helmet every single time I went near my motorcycle, knowing that my particular accident had been little in retrospect, I can only imagine what might have happened to me if I'd gotten in a more dangerous situation than simply hitting my neighbor's curb but wasn't wearing a helmet. That situation right there, that what-if scenario that I faced when I walked back into my garage several months after breaking my thumb and having to deal with the scar on my stomach, that right there is why you wear a helmet. Now, that may not be a perfectly told story. It could be more polished, but it sure beats rambling facts and figures from a persuasive standpoint. If I were to create a PowerPoint presentation for you on why you should wear a helmet, it wouldn't work quite as well as a story of me getting into an accident, falling down to the pavement, hitting my head, and breaking my hand. 
Now, I'm not a caveman. And quite frankly, I don't know any cavemen. But I don't imagine that back in the caveman days, I don't imagine the family alpha male had a 10-point lion safety presentation to share with the tribe each night by the fire. I don't believe that he relied merely on facts and knowledge to earn the loyalty of his family. No, I'd bet that he told stories about coming back from the watering hole one day when suddenly he heard the chilling sound of grass brushing 20 yards away. And when he glanced over to see what it was, he beheld none other than a ferocious, man-eating lion lurking forward, its hind legs ready to pounce and tear his flesh apart. And so he ran. He ran, and he ran, and he climbed up a tree. He tossed rocks at the lion, and then by pure chance was saved because of a dancing gazelle who was too stupid to see the hungry lion just a few meters off its path. When the lion detected the, the gazelle, it ran after it and gave the alpha male of the tribe a chance to run away and break free. That story, told around the campfire, with all the detail about the sweat dripping from his forehead and the anxiety and adrenaline pumping through his veins, that's probably what persuaded his tribe members to take care of themselves and to be careful and safe whenever they encountered a lion. That was probably enough. Cavemen didn't use PowerPoint to teach their kin. And while today's best storytellers do use facts and figures and even PowerPoint, they don't rely on them to get their message across. Because if you're dependent on your slides to help people feel the power of your message, you've lost. It's over. Facts, figures, numbers, charts, graphs, statistics, slides, all these things are helpful aids in sharing your message, but that's all they are. They're aids. They are not the message themselves. When I was a senior in high school, I served in the student government, and every December, we got to organize a big charity drive, pick a organization of our choosing that we wanted to raise money for. And my senior year, we chose an organization called Hope Kids, a group that helps families whose children have cancer. And I got to give a speech at the beginning of the charity drive, motivating the students and persuading them to get involved and to donate money and to come knock on doors with us and ask for donations from the community. Sometimes I wish I could go back to that time because when I was younger and didn't think too much, when I didn't get into my own head about things, storytelling came so naturally to me. As one business owner I trained said to describe young people who naturally excel at things, I didn't know any better. I put my heart into that speech in December 2012, motivating kids to get involved with the charity drive we'd put on. And I opened the speech by telling the story of a young child whose life had been changed forever. See, this little kid had just been told that he has cancer. His life is in grave danger, and he's about to lose so many of the simple pleasures in life that we all take for granted. His family was devastated. All their plans, their dreams, and ambitions have been crushed in an instant. If that was you, I asked the students, what would you do? Or better yet, what would you hope for? You see, for these kids and their families, hope is the operative word. It's how they get through the days, the weeks, and the months, and the years that they fight this monster known as cancer. And now we as students, we have the opportunity to serve these people and their families. We have the chance to give them that precious and beautiful gift 
of hope. How, you ask? All you have to do is show up. The programs have been planned. The activities are ready. It's on each of us to simply be there, be present, and give this fundraiser our best effort. That speech that I gave telling that story about a young child getting cancer, that speech, it it was a huge success. It brought my seminary teacher to tears. I received many heartfelt compliments. But like I mentioned in the first episode of this podcast, storytelling is not about getting compliments and kudos from people. It's about making an impact. It's about delivering a message that someone needs to hear when they need to hear it. So the response that meant the most to me after that speech came from one of my fellow classmates. I don't remember her name, but I'll never forget how she made me feel when she looked in my eyes with a sincere glow and said, thank you, Zach. And I'm even, I'm not even doing it justice now the way I'm describing it. She looked at me and she said, Zach, thank you. You, you made me cry. She said, and she started to tear up. She was super involved in the fundraiser that month, as were all the other kids and teachers who expressed similar sentiments about the speech. And that's the beauty of storytelling. I didn't lecture on childhood cancer statistics. I didn't prepare a presentation or a, a, a PowerPoint. I'm sure I probably used some stats and some, some information about childhood cancer to drive my point home further, but my main focus was on telling an engaging story a story people could picture themselves in and empathize with. The goal is not to convince people with numbers. It's to move people with a story that resonates. Storytelling is not a once in a while activity for when you need to make a sale, deliver a talk or rebuild your image. Storytelling is a daily habit of explaining, persuading, teaching and connecting with people in a way that resonates deeply with them. Because the truth is, no one ever made a decision based on the numbers alone. We like to think that we do, but we don't. Where our decisions really come from is the stories we hear and the stories we tell ourselves. That's why the storytelling habit is so important.